You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric May, Milwaukee Bucks reporter at The Athletic Wisconsin. And joining me as always is my good friend and the founder of BrewHoop.com, Frank Madden. And supporting Locked on Bucks is Manscaped, who is number one in men's below-the-belt grooming. You may have seen them on Shark Tank. Manscaping offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Get 20% off in free shipping with the code Locked On at manscaped.com that's a 20 percent off at manscaped.com with promo code locked on frank my friend how are you doing uh i'm good eric we took a weekend off to kind of recharge our batteries here to continue plowing through this mailbag i'm uh i've been going through the game of thrones books uh and i've been doing them on audible so i I don't know if i can claim to be reading them because i'm listening to them but they were like the first two books were like 30 something hours long. And the third one was 47 hours long, which I just finished. Jeez. And I feel like this podcast may, may ultimately eclipse that. We may get through <laughs> 40 some hours of podcast material based on all the questions that we got a week ago. And it feels like we're still nowhere close to finishing. So let's keep going. Let's keep doing, let's keep knocking it out, giving people something to distract themselves with as we uh, get closer to uh, the the August dead period of the NBA season. All right. So we're going to go to a question from uh, Kurt Lettinger on Twitter, who says we attempted to made the second most amount of threes last year as a team, but only shot the 15th best percentage. How do you see the team doing in these stats this coming year, given the roster changes? This is something that I think we talked about briefly. Neither of us can remember if we actually folded in Kurt's question or just ended up talking about this. So, I mean, maybe we can make it quick, but I think when you look at this team, you're going to lose a guy like Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, and obviously he shot a very high percentage, but he didn't do a whole lot for the volume of the threes that you shot. And um, I guess for me, when you add Kyle Corver, he's going to have good volume. He's going to have a good percentage. Um, so I think in many ways he can kind of balance out uh, what, what Malcolm brought to the table uh, as a three point shooter. If, Maybe even I know it's going to be limited minutes, so maybe it won't end up being more. But he can at least do that, and then you throw in Wesley Matthews with his increased volume. So for me, I think you know there's a possibility that the volume is higher. I don't know if they'll get to the Rockets level. I think the Rockets were seven threes per game more, if I remember correctly. I think the Bucks had 48, and the Rockets had like 45 a game. So they might not even. They may increase, but still end up second. Um, Percentage, I think, is really tough to kind of know because I I think that can be – I mean, there's a lot of variance in three-point shooting. Uh, And year to year, I don't know if you're going to have a ton of confidence in any number staying stable and then you're going to throw in different players. So I I don't really have – 
I don't really have any thoughts on the percentage, but I do think the number of threes goes up this year. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, my view is if your three-point percentage is that shot 40%, then that just tells me you didn't shoot enough threes. Um, I kind of want to like jack a, <laughs> yeah. enough threes that your, that your percentage regresses to the mean a little bit. Um, so, I mean, I guess you could say, well, I guess the Bucks found that last year because they were second in attempts and, and in the absolute middle of the pack in terms of percentage. Um it's it's interesting. I mean, there's give and takes here, right? I mean, you kind of alluded to it. I think Matthews and uh, and Corver obviously are very high volume three point shooters. Um, certainly much higher than than Malcolm was. Um, but neither of those guys is going to play 30 minutes a game, you know, or total, right? I mean, maybe together they'll hit I don't know mid 30s or something like that in terms of total minutes per game. Um, so you could say, eh, you know, net net, you're kind of swapping their minutes for for Malcolm's minutes or some Tony Snell minutes at kind of swapping in there too um but i think a, I, I, i'm i'm probably most interested in in that attempts number and as you said i don't know if they can catch the rockets who are at 45 game as you mentioned bucks are at 38 um but i i gotta think the bucks are gonna crack 40 per game this year um just with you know i think just a year of comfort in the system and just that's just the trend that every kind of like every season this is kind of what's happening we have gotten threes every year they will take more. I think you just get the Bucks roster. I mean, you lose Meritich. That's probably the biggest like one guy that um again, but but he was only here for like what twenty games or something like that. Um, so it's not like you're talking about uh yeah fourteen games for for Nico, right? So it's not like you're talking about like having a really big impact on the stats from last year. So um so I think that you know I would expect them to to catapult past forty per game. I think the interesting question is just how far into the forties they actually get. Um, you know, Giannis, I think will take more threes, but again, I don't think he's going to take six threes a game. I mean, he took almost three last year. I think maybe he takes four this year, something like that. Um, and then other than that, I think, you know, again, um, they've got three point shooting pretty much everywhere. And I think Rolo is probably an important guy because if Rolo takes, you know, three threes a game or something like that, you know, that matters too, um, because he's a guy that typically has not shot many threes. So, um, so yeah, I don't know if the presidential will go up a lot. I think they have certainly Corver obviously is a better three point shooter than anybody. The bucks have pretty much ever, ever had. Um, but between Corver and Matthews, um, I don't think, you know, when you're thinking about losing Snell, losing Brogdon, um, you know, you're losing some high percentage guys who are maybe a little bit lower volume. So I don't know if necessarily the bucks are trading a lot of, you know, percentage improvement, um, so much as, uh, as maybe just bumping up that volume even further. And, you know, the Rockets, at 48 per game, 45 per game, they were 12th in terms of percentage, just really barely above um, the Bucks in terms of uh, three-point percentage. Bucks were at 35.3. I think the Rockets were at 35.6. So again, like these really high-volume teams tend to not, you know, ever get too high in terms of volume. So, um, so yeah, let's watch kind of how it goes. But um, I mean, if we're using 38 per game as as the over/under, I'll I'll definitely take the over. All right. Next question um, would have come from. Justin at Dawkins 718 on Twitter, uh, who was asking about the last roster spot. We know the last roster spot was filled by Dragon Bender. And today we found out some details from uh, Jeff Siegel, who runs Early Bird Rights, who, it, which Early Bird Rights is just an incredible website. Great site. Uh, yeah, like, <laughs> like you think Frank has the cap info quickly. Uh, Jeff has the cap info 
quicker and for every team in the league. It, I, I honestly have no idea how he does it. It seems impossible. So um, at JG Siegel, S-I-E-G-E-L on Twitter, check out Jeff's stuff. He's great. Um, he had some details on Bender's two-year minimum deal. Uh, it, it's it's structured in the way that you would hope for kind of what we were talking about that roster spot being. It's a $300,000 guarantee for the nineteen twenty season. It's another $300,000 guaranteed on opening night. It's another $200,000 guaranteed on December 1st and then fully guaranteed on January 10th. And then the 2021 part of the deal is non-guaranteed until July 6th of 2020, so next summer. Um, So one, a late guarantee date, which is, you know, nice. Um, And then... Obviously, all that guarantee, that non-guaranteed money throughout, and all of those different kind of escalators, um, all really nice, right? Like we talked about the idea that this contract was won because of having Thanasis and you know having someone who you're going to have to keep, even if that's the the logical player to cut. Um, you needed some flexibility on that contract, and this contract does that yeah i mean bender is obviously the guy that um if there's a move made at this point you point to would be the guy that that gets gets cut um just because last man in the door lowest guarantee you know the only guy who has a non-guaranteed number for for this season so um so we'll see i mean the pressure's on him interesting that you know i mean i have to think he could have gotten similar numbers if he had gone to europe there was talk that he was going to go to sasco moscow and um, obviously didn't happen. So we'll be interesting to see kind of what happens with him. As I mentioned last week, I think it's probably less than a 50-50 bet that he survives the season in Milwaukee one way or the other, whether it's, you know, getting waived to sign somebody else, whether it's, you know, who knows? I mean, maybe him coming out of camp, if it's not working, he wants to go someplace else. And maybe the Bucks think that they have a line on somebody else that, that might fit them better. You know, I mean, again, like I, I don't want to make it seem like um, as much as I kind of think he's an interesting flyer that I think he's a high bet to to survive the season um, for a number of reasons. So so we'll see. But he's an interesting player, as we said, obviously, the pedigrees there. And I think um, a friend of the pod, Paul Immig, also asked me on Twitter uh, just kind of separately, but I'll mention it just because it may be of some interest to people. Um, so the way it works. So you might say, OK, we signed for two years. Um, that's the most you can sign somebody. Um on a non-guarantee or sorry, on a minimum contract exception. So, you know, again, the Bucks had no exceptions. They had no cap space, but you can always sign guys to one or two year minimum contracts. So this is the longest they could essentially sign him to. Um, if he, you know, in the absolute best case scenario, Dragon Bender ends up being a contributor, ends up being, you know, a useful NBA player for the Bucks. Um, after two years, they would not have full bird rights. So they could not sign him for anything they wanted. Um, they would have early bird rights, uh, you know, makes sense. We call that out. It is the name also of our friend Jeff Siegel's website. Uh, early bird, <laughs> right? Basically, for a player like him who's making the minimum salary, um, essentially that would allow you going into the twenty one twenty two season. Uh, you would be able to offer him up to one hundred five percent of the previous year average salary. So essentially, more or less whatever the MMLE is in the twenty twenty one season, gross that up by five percent probably something in a ballpark of $10 million a year, you could have an exception. You could actually, without using another exception or cap space, you could offer him that amount of money, which again, 
we are a long way from Drive Truck and Pender earning that kind of salary. Um, but just in case people are curious, they couldn't sign him for three years um, due to, again, the limitations on signing minimum contract players. Um, so this is probably about as favorable a team deal as you're going to get. And again, if he pans out somehow and you know you want to keep him, um, you're going to have a good chunk of flexibility to uh, to be able to bring him back, even if the Bucks are uh, capped out at that point. And again, after two years, you know, not a lot of guys necessarily on the books. I mean, DJ Wilson would be a restricted free agent going into the 2021 summer. Um, Robin Lopez will have expired at that point. Um, you know, again, Ursan uh, will have been one year past his guarantee date from his current contract. So um, a lot can change in the short term. But again, this gives them a little bit of flexibility in case, you know, this guy who obviously has talent but hasn't put it all together uh, if he somehow pans out. So anyway, I think we've, I think we've bendered, bendered out uh, our, our, our uh, <laughs> mailbag on Dragon Bender questions. All right, uh, let's move on to Sam at CTVFX on Twitter. Now that the Bucks have locked up this roster, roster for the foreseeable future, do you think that this year is the most integral integral to winning a championship due to the East being weak and teams only getting better after this season, i.e. KD coming back, Toronto getting off some big contracts? Um, I mean, I guess I, I we both said last year was, was the best chance because – as I said a number of times, I don't know if you necessarily agree with this, but that was the year I could see. <laughs> that was the year. That was the year I knew that existed. I, I knew the the entire landscape and kind of what it looked like, and you know that looked like what could be the Bucks' best chance to get out of the Eastern Conference. And who we didn't know until the finals that the Warriors would be at their weakest uh, before breaking up, but they were. And you know, I, I think for most of last season it was like that that was their best chance to win a championship. And now, you know, you look at this year. Okay. Maybe this year's their best chance to win a championship. And I think it, it kind of, it kind of shows just how important maximizing your, your roster is every off season. And like when you have a guy like Giannis that taking a step back is just never going to look good. It is never going to be, um, I think in some ways acceptable because you're going to, to keep being in this position where if Giannis is there, you have a chance to win the Eastern conference and then also win an NBA championship. So, um, you know, is this the year that's, that's most important? Maybe, maybe two years from now, Giannis is signed and the rest of the East has fallen apart and maybe that's it. But we can, we can really only talk about, we can only talk about the year in front of us. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of tried to hammer that home last year where, you know, when the Bucks lost, it was like, okay, well, you know, this is the first step. This is, uh, this is Giannis going through his uh, equivalent to the Pistons for Jordan or, or whatever it is. Like, that's nice to say, but also maybe this is the best chance. I guess it maybe wasn't. Maybe this year will be their best chance. But uh, you just have to, I think, go into every year thinking that this is the most important one. Yeah, I mean, it's win now from here on out. And obviously there's, there's you know, limits to that, right? Like, you know, you, you still want to be able to keep the window open as long as possible. And that's that's where the Bucks are going to have the most difficult decisions, right? The Brogdon move was obviously probably the, the best example of that, where obviously financially, you know, that was, I would say, largely a financial decision. Um, 
and part of that. But again, that this stuff is real, right? The finances do play into it. Um, and especially when Giannis hits that super max in starting the 2021 season, um, you know, it's going to be a lot harder to, to avoid the luxury tax. And so sure, most owners probably wouldn't mind avoiding it now. Um, but again, there's, that's the trade-off. And, and I agree. I mean, I think if you look at this year and, and next year to, to, to another extent as well, I mean, I think last season we knew that there was nothing given about being able to retain all the guys in the roster. So I think the, the difference this year is that, you know, you look who's locked up. I mean, Bledsoe, Middleton, Hill, Lopez are all locked up for the at least the next two years, if you want to keep them that long. Um, so I think from a roster certainty standpoint, the Bucks have a lot more certainty around the roster uh, going from this year and thinking about like a two-year horizon, whereas last year there was a lot less certainty, I think, about kind of like thinking about it multi-years. Um, so that's, I'd say, a positive. The downside, though, is that, you know, some of these guys now are going to be aging to the point where, you know, you're, you're going to expect regression. I mean, George Hill, you know, again, like, is George Hill going to be as good this year as he was in the playoffs last year? Probably not. Is he going to be somewhere between what he was in the regular season and the playoffs? Hopefully, I'd say maybe that's that's what you kind of shoot for and hope that he can have some huge games in the postseason like he did last year. Um, but he's getting older, and Bledsoe is not as old as as, uh, as Hill. He's going into his year 30 season. Um, but I think you always worry with, you know, really athletic guys like Bledsoe, especially given that he's had good injury luck. You know, is Bledsoe, you know, one injury away from seeing kind of a big decline in his game in the regular season and obviously not even mentioning kind of the issues he's had in the postseason. So I, I think we're, we're kind of in a little bit different position in that I think, um, you know, it's more of a two-year window the way I'd look at it right now. Um, that said, obviously, you've got Sterling Brown, who will need a new contract next summer. You've got Pat, Pat Connaughton, who will need a new contract next summer. Corver's on a one-year deal. Um, you know, Wes Matthews is a player option, technically, but he's older. So, you know, again, not that you want to, like, you wanted Wes Matthews as long as possible or something like that. But I, So I think they're in more of a kind of two-year window right now than maybe they were a year ago, just because of the contract situations they were in. Um, but, and obviously, the biggest biggest piece of that is Giannis and the fact that, he has two years left on his contract. Obviously, you hope next summer you lock him up long term, and you know you don't have to worry about an expiring contract situation. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think from here on out, you know, I think Giannis will continue to get better. But I think certainly, especially the big money guys you've signed a contract, you know, Bledsoe, Middleton, Lopez. I think th- those guys certainly may have better or worse seasons just in terms of like variability around sort of some overall progression of their careers, but you know, in general, they're at the point where you're not expecting them to make some big leap um, necessarily. You know, I think like Chris or Bled might like shoot better on catch and shoot threes from next year rather than they did this year when they weren't really very good in that department. But in terms of like their physical tool sets and all that stuff, I mean, you're not expecting that to get better. So, um, so yeah, long story short, I'd say it's a two-year window right now, but um, especially with Giannis and the fact that his decision comes up next summer, obviously you want to really kind of make the most of this coming season and, you know, leave no doubt that this is the place that Giannis should be long-term. Next question comes from Brandon Lowersdorf at blau 25 on Twitter. He asks, it feels that with strong depth at each position and open and an open roster spot there, well, there's no longer an open roster spot, but we can keep the rest of that question. Um, at each position, the Bucks are in a position to make a trade. What position would you feel is most likely for an upgrade Salary filler would likely need to be included, possibly Ursani Sova, possibly Bledsoe. And 
I understand this was asked when the Bucks still had an open roster spot, but I also think when you kind of consider this roster, I, I mentioned it last week in this mailbag. They just kind of have a they have a logjam at a bunch of positions, and I mean I, I think they have probably one too many big one too many bigs to play. They probably have too many too too many wings to play. Like there's there's legitimately thirteen guys on this roster that could play, and that's really nice for a long season. There's going to be injuries, and and that's going to make it a lot easier to deal with those injuries and to keep playing. And I think we saw how all of those things can kind of play into a team winning 60 games that if you have good depth and you have guys that can fill in those minutes, then you can get yourself in a spot where, okay, you're not going to suffer through this, this really rough stretch. Like you're, you're just going to be able to, to get through it. So it, it can show that, you know, there is something to be, to, to kind of glean from having all of that depth. But at the same time, um, you know, those guys aren't always going to be able to play. Like there, there's not going to be a bunch of rooms. So, you know, maybe there's a situation where you want to package some of those guys and get one person that's a little bit better there. And I think that's, that's interesting for this Bucks team because they have, uh, you know, I think contracts throughout the, the kind of range of contracts that you need. They have some guys still on cheap deals. Uh, they have some middling deals. Uh, they have that Bledsoe deal uh, that can be dealt, I think, once we get to September. Like, you know, there is some stuff in there that you could, I think, put together compelling trade packages for a number of things. I don't know. It's not obviously not going to be like a, a third star or anything, but um, I think you could put compelling trade packages together. I, I think the most likely place to upgrade would obviously be shooting guard, um, maybe point guard as well, if you don't trust Eric Bledsoe. But I, I do think, I understand that this question was asked at a different time, but I do think the Bucks are interesting trade candidates because of just kind of the wide range of contracts and players and talent they have on this roster. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because, I mean, the Bucks have, you know, we've talked about obviously Middleton being, I'd say, overpaid, right? We would say it's a tough contract to live up to because of the length and the sheer volume of dollars. But in terms of like, you know, he's a really good player and the market, I think, supported him making that kind of money. Um, you know, again, I'm uncomfortable with just the sheer dollars at play, just given, you know, any player could get hurt and, and then all of a sudden that becomes an albatross. Um, you know, we've talked to obviously Bledsoe and the questions about him um, in the playoffs in particular. Uh, but overall, I mean, I think you generally look at the Bucks cap sheet and obviously there's a lot of money owed. Um, and especially in the next, in the coming years, um, there's going to be some challenges staying under the tax this year. They're about 3 million under the tax as they stand right now. So, you know, again, they could make some slightly lopsided trades and, and still stay under the tax. Um, but I think moving forward, you know, that'll become more challenging. Um, but yeah, I think if you want to talk about like what you would do this year, kind of, you know, to upgrade the roster, to be more competitive, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, shooting guard spot is kind of the obvious one, right? I mean, if West Mass is your starting shooting guard, we talk about like, you know, if you wanted to maximize your talent, you, you keep Malcolm Brogdon. Sim- simple as that, right? Um, so I, I think it, it'll be interesting. I mean, again, the, the, the flip side of the equation is, well, Bledsoe has been a, a really good regular season player uh, last year and probably the second half in particular of the year before that. Um, but in terms of, you know, playoffs, like, can you trust uh, Eric Bledsoe? I don't know. I wish I could say yes, but I, I honestly don't know. Um, and so, you know, the question of, 
um, you know, the Bucks backcourt in general, I think is, is there, I think Hill gives you nice depth, um, you know, off the bench if he's sort of still who we hope he is. Um, but in general, I think it's a, it's an interesting question. Just, you know, the Bucks backcourt overall. I mean, if the Bucks do win a championship, I think, um, they're going to need Bledsoe obviously to be much closer to what he is in the regular season than what he's been in the postseason the last couple of years. And, um, you know, I think the guard play from the Bucks, I think overall, I mean, they'll, they'll win in spite of their guard depth or sorry, in spite of their guard play, probably rather than because of it. Um, and obviously you look at the rest of the roster, kind of the three through five spots. I mean, Middleton, Giannis, Lopez. I mean, you can't really, you can't really think about too many options to upgrade from those guys at those spots. And then, as you mentioned, the depth behind them is also really strong. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, I think the Bucks are going to win championships going to be because of that front court uh, star power with Giannis and the complementary nature of Chris and Brooke around him. And then the depth they have there. Um, and then I think beyond that though, I think certainly the guards is, is where you, you know, if you, if you did have an opportunity to upgrade and again, maybe that's not adding like a star player or something like that, but could you add somebody that you just felt overall better about? Um, could you add somebody that gives a little bit more dynamism as a ball handler? Um, you know, that, that certainly might be, would be something that you think the Bucks would look at, especially because, you know, right now their third string point guard is, is on a two way. Let's go to. I think we're going to try to do two more tonight and then we can wrap it up. This question comes from uh, Jonas Slutz on Twitter. And he asked, Is Chris Middleton the best passer on the team? And I got to say, out of hand, I just kind of wanted to reject it because I think it's probably Giannis. And, you know, I think. We've seen Giannis have you know, some really big assist totals, like especially when they fully committed to to point Giannis. And then, you know, I was like thinking about it, and I was like, well, you know, Eric, Eric Bledsoe also had like five and a half, half assists per game last year. And I was just like, okay, it's probably crazy that Middleton is, but I think uh, some of the things I, I kind of think through is that with Bledsoe in, or with with Giannis and Eric, it's it's really them just being such forces of nature that you you just sink all the way in and say, "Screw this! These two are going to try to go to the rim. We're not going to let them let them do that." And they're passing to open players a lot of the time. Like a lot of the time, it's kickouts for threes. Um, you know, it's Eric Bledsoe getting up in the air, uh, attracting attention, and then kind of dumping off. Like, which, like, I, that isn't to say that those aren't those aren't talented passes, are not difficult passes, or uh, should be discounted in any way. But I just feel like you look at the degree of difficulty on Chris Middleton. The fact that people aren't really worried about him driving means he he's throwing. I, I don't even know if this is a thing, but contested passes a lot of the time, like the, the pass going to whoever he's passing to that person's probably covered. He's tightly covered because he also can beat you with the jump shot. I feel like the degree of difficulty on Middleton passes might be greatest, but I don't know if that necessarily makes him the best passer. What do you think? Yeah, they're very different types of passers. Like you said, I mean, you think about like the best passes that each of these guys makes, right? Like Bledsoe, you get alluded to it. It's the jump up in the air with 
maybe a plan to do one thing and improvise and do something different, right? Like the things you don't really want to coach a guy to do type passes, like that's those are kind of like Bledsoe's most impressive passes in a lot of ways. I don't think Bledsoe's like great as a lob passer or anything like that. Um, I think he's developed better chemistry with kind of making pocket passes to Giannis uh, in the last year than maybe he did previously, but I don't think that's like a, a major strong suit of his game. Um, I think with Giannis, I mean, it's really all about his gravity. You know, I think he's developed a great awareness of where his guys are going to be. Um, but in terms of like, you know, um, I think there, there's something improvisational about that. He's definitely made some crazy improvisational passes. Um, but I think, he, you know, again, he's a kickout artist and that's what the bu- design of the Bucks offense is, right? Like they're not, you're not, you're not putting guys out on the court with Giannis to like roll to the rim and occupy his space. You're trying to put him in positions where guys are, you know, in the blue squares and in the corners and you can have him kick out to those guys and, and he's basically throwing to spots rather than throwing necessarily always to players, which is somehow why some of his bad passes um, are because he's throwing to spots rather, rather than to players. And that's also why he definitely throws probably a lot of like passes that end up being assists, but actually aren't very accurate necessarily. Um, but again, like I think he can definitely improve there. Uh, and a lot of that's really court awareness and just knowing where to find guys. Um, but again, I think that's more just his, his, his playmaking is almost more just like a byproduct of his gravity and just his talent. And I think now we're seeing more and more, his vision is becoming a part of that. But I have to say, I mean, Giannis was, I mean, he, he showed natural talent, passing talent, yeah. like from the moment he set foot in the NBA. And so it's kind of interesting. Cause I feel like, I don't know if his pass, I mean, like, I feel like his passing actually has probably improved maybe the least of all of his like kind of macro NBA skills. Like hmm. he has, he has, he has like made such massive strides in like everything. Well, other than shooting, obviously he hasn't improved as a shooter, but like in terms of like his scoring ability and like everything he does and his strength and even his defense, um, everything is just like exponentially improved almost yeah. versus his passing. Like I feel like was good and I think he's become better um, but I don't think we necessarily really even get to see a lot of his like kind of more natural passing instincts as much as we used to. I mean, like, cause that's the thing too, like, I feel like early on, like he was a guy in the, in the fast break, like he liked to pass and make plays for other guys. And now it's like, I don't want Giannis passing. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, why would you pass when you can just dribble through everybody and dunk? So it's almost like his just dominance as a scorer has like kind of, um, limited almost like what we see of his passing to some extent. Um, and he's still a high turnover guy, um, which isn't just passing, but, uh, but I don't know. So he's a different, he's a, just like fundamentally trying to do different stuff versus mm. Chris. Um, and I, I retweeted the other day, but um, our friend at Bucks film room on Twitter put together like a, a nice little uh, tweet, tweet thread of um, Middleton passing numbers and video that he cut up. And it kind of showed a lot of the different types of passes Chris throws. And so many of them, I mean, I, I think he is the best. Um, he's the most precise passer, especially like to rolling big men like him and Brooke and Giannis in particular. Like they, you know, he Chris is very good at using his gravity and the fact that people are, are playing him to shoot and are worried about his shooting, as you kind of alluded to, um, to find those little seams to, to dump the ball over the top, use his his height and length throw over the top and get it to those big guys. And obviously Giannis and Brooke are really big targets. So I think it's been really fun watching him develop, especially chemistry with Brooke, which obviously was new last year. Um, But also 
with Giannis, which, you know, we've seen more kind of over the years. And I think certainly more of that Chris Giannis pick and roll would be interesting to see because um, it, it does seem to often be very effective. And, you know, he's gotten good at, at pocket passes. He's gotten good at um, – I'd be curious if I, – I have a feeling Chris might throw more successful lob passes than anyone else on the team. Um, I don't, I don't know. I've long said he's the best alley-ooper. He's yeah. He's the I don't, Bucks, I don't think the Bucks, I don't think the Bucks are great at throwing alley-oops period. <laughs> They're not. Um, I but agree. I think Middleton's the best of, of the bunch. So anyway, um, yeah, I, I think it's an interesting question. I think relative to position, I mean, assists are, can be obviously a little bit deceiving. Um, but I mean, for Chris, you know, being a small forward, who's not, you know, the number one option and he's not the point guard either. Uh, for him to be, you know, in that four to five assist range consistently, I think, again, you don't just like stumble into that. You don't like just happen to get tons of assists from that spot um, because, you know, you hand it off and guys just hit threes. Like he actually is making a lot of nice passes to, to create those um, those those buckets. And uh, again, I think that's that's part of the story of why the Bucks are, I think, were so awesome offensively is because, again, you had you know, multiple guys who could not just score, but make plays for others. And I think with Chris, you know, again, having a guy who I think could be, and we've seen over stretches be like a 20 point five rebound, five assist guy. Uh, I think he was that in the second half of the season. Um, that's really hard to do. <laughs> that's really hard to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and to do it with, with the perimeter shooting that he has, is really difficult. So um, I'm, I'm really excited to see this year. I mean, I think, one thing with, I think we've been talking about it, might have mentioned it, but I think with Brogdon leaving, obviously there's sort of a volume scoring hole in the Bucks starting lineup um, that, that Wes Matthews is not going to, I mean, he's not going to score 15 a game or I'd be sh- shocked if he took that many shots. Um, so I'm, I am curious if, um, if some of that playmaking that, that fell to Brogdon, um, are we going to see more, more Chris staggered with the second units? Um, I think last year, in minutes without Giannis, um, he played 11 minutes a game without Giannis, and he scored nine points per game on like crazy efficiency in those minutes. So you know you just sort of prorate that out. I mean, he was scoring 27 plus points per 36 minutes when Giannis wasn't on the court, um, which I think is a really encouraging sign. I think it was part of the you know story of what I think makes Chris unique is that as much as he's not like you know he's not going to be in the playoffs like a clear it out and just let him work and he'll carry the offense type guy. And we know he'll have some struggles doing that. Except against the Celtics. Except against the Celtics. Um, But we know that he can, uh, we know that he can, he can, especially over the course of regular season, I mean, he can go out and get you buckets. Um, And it's not just that he's, you know, spotting up and waiting for people to collapse on Giannis. Like he had no problem scoring with, with Giannis on the bench last year. And I think, again, it'll be interesting to see if, um, if the amount of staggering now, maybe puts more Chris by himself rather than Chris with Giannis all the time on the court. And again, they start, they're going to finish together. So they're going to be on the court together more often than they're going to be separated. But, um, you know, hopefully what we saw from Chris last year is an indication that he can, you know, he can help kind of carry that load when Giannis is resting, which again, with the way the Bucks play, I mean, that's, you know, 15 minutes a game or so uh, where, where Giannis isn't playing. Yeah. I think the, the idea you mentioned of Giannis, um, just uh, I think Giannis as a passer is really interesting because it, there's so many times where you see a glimpse of like the really special holy shit like did he just do that I, like there's that there's that one I think it was for a Brogdon three against Washington in, in, yeah. at home where, where it's like, like a look like, off and yeah. it's like a no look that he clearly played the entire defense 
and it was just like what was that if he can make that pass like that that's just unbelievable and you know then there'll be some of those like whip passes where he's in what you know what i always refer to as like the lebron spot where he's backing down on a wing and then just with the right hand like we'll whip one over to the corner and you're like that's a ridiculous pass like that's just that's understanding your gravity that's seeing when the person's cutting and like, it felt like I'm trying to think when that Washington game was, maybe that was like February, January, somewhere around there. It just felt like, Oh, maybe he's making a bunch of like really special passes right now. It's like, okay, maybe he's going to do that. And then obviously like down in the season and play as much. And obviously once he got to the playoffs, it was just like, I'm going to dunk on everyone and this is how it's going to go. Um, and, and that's not to say he wasn't passing, but it didn't feel like that was the focus as much as like, I'm going to assert my will on this game. I'm going to dunk on everyone. Um, so I, he's a, he's a really that I think the point you make is really pressing. Like it's just really interesting to think about Giannis and you know how he has developed or hasn't developed as a passer and just where he is on that. Um, but yeah, I would agree. You know, Middleton I think has shown like those really high level tight spaces kind of passes. I think more than Giannis or Bledsoe. And again, that doesn't necessarily mean he's a better passer. He's just better in those situations. He sees those situations more because people actually care about his jump shot as opposed to Giannis and Eric where they would love for them to, to shoot threes. So um, it's it's all kind of different type of passing, but I do think he, he should be in the conversation there. Um, all right. Yeah, because I, I was going to say, I mean, when, when Giannis is out there with Brooke, I mean, Brooke is not rolling to the rim when he's out there Correct. with Giannis, right? He's, he's out there. 28 feet from the basket so Giannis can't pass to Brooke rolling to the rim because they don't try to do that and Giannis can't pass to himself or at least not <laughs> yeah. under normal circumstances um so so that, that is one thing that Chris obviously benefits from but again like that's why you want you know you like guys who can do kind of do different things and, and we've certainly seen that one thing I'll, I'll leave you with um you know we saw Brogdon was typically the first sub out kind of like when the Bucks were kind of in their kind of stable healthy rhythm kind of in by by mid-season and they would i think they got into kind of rhythm they were bringing sterling brown in a lot um at that point to kind of come in for brogdon and they'd bring brogdon in later and he would kind of close quarters um i'm, I'm kind of curious like it, it, does middleton become that guy you know does middleton uh do, do you rest middleton early do you try to get like corver and west matthews out there together with Giannis so that you're kind of maximizing your kind of like high volume spot up guys around Giannis? Um, I'm very curious to kind of like how they play that, you know, Hill obviously is a huge luxury to have coming off the bench as well, which, you know, obviously they didn't have him early in the season last year. So there are a lot of different combinations. I think the bucks are going to be able to roll out. And I guess, you know, the one consistent thing is that, you know, pretty much all these guys can shoot and probably Rolo and Giannis are the only guys that, that you have question marks on. And, and hopefully those guys can make strides too. I think the, so in my rotation kind of uh, project that I did at the athletic, where I tried to put together um, like a mock rotation, the thing I kept coming back to is like that to me, there's a very clear spot for Dante DiVincenzo that if he, he showed a little, you know, a little of that verve off the dribble where he could, have a little wiggle. He could make a, make a play, do a little something like if you can bring in Hill and DiVincenzo together for that first sub for Giannis, where Giannis is typically the one that leaves the floor before Middleton and you go Hill, DiVincenzo, Middleton and 
Dante can work a little bit on the second side. Maybe he can initiate a little bit and then allow Middleton or Hill to work the second side. Like that to me makes a lot of sense. And it makes sense because Dante's shown a little bit of that skill when we really haven't seen it from Sterling Brown, from Pat Connaughton. Like that to me is where this could kind of be a little bit interesting. Like I think he's someone that against other bench units, like can kind of, attack off the dribble and, and find some ways to create. And I think the, in those moments, that skill set can be really helpful. Like that dribble pass, shoot, do a little bit of everything that can be really helpful in those moments when maybe you're not going up against the starters, but you're going up against, you know, a, a second string wing that you can hopefully try to take off the dribble a little bit. So that's one thing that I found myself thinking about with the stagger is that, okay, maybe they do try to make Middleton, that guy a little bit more and not go full on all the starters out except Malcolm Brogdon um, like they did last year. But uh, I don't know. It's, it's going to be interesting to watch. All right. uh, Let's wrap it up with this question. Sniper Silva asks, do you imagine Bud will change his half court offense at all? Now that Kyle Korver is on the roster or will it just be that one screen handoff set and five out all year again? For me, I mean, I think so. I, I think the the complaint about the Bucks only running five out motion is is valid, and I think you could see why that could be a problem during the playoffs. Like, so, like I I will say that, but I also think all of this talk and all this conversation has kind of left out the fact that Bud is one of the best ATO guys in the league, like. He's he's very good at X's and O's. Like this is a team that is really good in those situations, and I think with a guy like Corver, you put in some sets for Kyle Corver. Like he can run some different actions when he's in there. Like are you still going to run a lot of your five out stuff? Yeah, but like with Corver, like there's a reason why he was able to get a bunch of shots in Atlanta. It's because Bud ran things for him. And uh, like, I, I think you're going to see some of that. Is it going to be every time down that they're running a totally different offense for Kyle Korver? Maybe not, but is there going to be more of it with him on the floor? I think almost certainly. Like, I, I think what we saw from Korver with Bud and, you know, just what we've seen from Korver overall means he's going to be a guy that you run some things for and have some, different actions for some unique actions for like that is that's just a thing that you do when you have Kyle Korver on the team and like none of the shooters that the Bucks had last year deserved those things to be run for them like I mean maybe you can make the argument for Chris Middleton um but they were happy with the number of threes he was getting up at the start of the year and then they had a course correct a little bit like so I just think I don't know for sure but it to me it it feels incredibly likely that bud will have corver specific actions i think the thing i'm i mean i thought about a lot during the toronto series um was how do you leverage brooke lopez and his and his skill set closer to the basket more when things are breaking down um in terms of like half court shot creation and i think we saw more of him rolling to the rim rather than just popping as the season went on last year. I don't think we're ever going to see like a steady dose of Brooke posting up even when Giannis is on the bench. Um, But I think again, if I'm Bud, especially in minutes when uh, Brooke is out there without Giannis. And I mean, I think in the grand scheme of things um, I love Brooke with Giannis, but I mean, if I'm going to uh, 
you know, mix and match. I would say, you know, the other centers need Giannis more than Brooke does, uh, if that makes sense. So I'm curious if we also see more of a concerted effort to get Brooke Lopez involved in kind of more throwbacky ways. And again, I'm not expecting that he's going to get five post-ups a game necessarily or something like that. But, um, you know, especially if a team's going small, do you try to exploit mismatches with Brooke more? Uh, or do you just try to do more of those pick and roll actions where again, Middleton or somebody else um, is leveraging that massive target that Brooke can be rolling to the rim um, to try to exploit that a bit more. Cause again, I, it felt like that was something that maybe the Bucks could have tapped into a little bit more um, when they were struggling so much in the half court against Toronto. But um, we'll see. I mean, you've got four more years of Brooke Lopez. So um, I, I think, you know, certainly as good as he is as a three point shooter, um, I still think he can do even more than uh, than what we saw last year. All right. That's going to be enough for us for tonight. We will get back at it because this mailbag is never ending. Um, it, it does not appear to be the end. Of, the end is still not in sight. Um, I'm doing a lot of scrolling on this document. So that means we have more nights of mailbag to come. We will keep it going for you guys tomorrow. So for Frank Men, I'm Eric Name. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We will talk to all of you guys tomorrow.